everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Carrie Parker, and uh, we've got a big show for you today. I've got all sorts of things I want to cover. We've had some kind of longer interviews lately um, that's taken up most of the show, and I've had to kind of cut the news and the tips short. Uh, but this week, we've got tons of great news, uh, some stuff that's important for you to know. I dig in kind of deeper on some of these issues to explain what's going on and give you a whole bunch of tips at the end of the show. Uh, to help you protect your Internet of Things devices and your home network. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, cell phone privacy and how that's kind of gone out the window. It's a, um, it's getting worse, not better. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin miners and how they are using your browser to make some money. We're going to talk a little bit about some DNS privacy, and I'll explain what DNS means. We're going to talk about Bad Rabbit, which is <laughs> and ransomware with a funny name, uh, going around uh Europe, or actually uh, Russia and the Ukraine kind of area, but not to say that it couldn't go further than that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and some general um, uh, things you could do to protect yourself against things like that. We're going to talk about the Kaspersky Labs and their software. They've come into the news lately and been under attack for supposedly uh, spying on the U.S. government for the Russian government. I'm going to talk about that story. That's interesting. Um, we'll talk a little bit about apps and app permissions and why you need to dial that back and be careful what kind of permissions you give to the applications you install on your smartphones and on your tablets. And uh, we're going to talk about the Reaper botnet. That's our big story today. Uh, the Reaper botnet is uh, malware that's going around and um, infecting the Internet of Things. And it's sort of like the Mirai botnet from last year that brought down Netflix and Twitter and some other things like that. So we're going to talk about that and dig into that story. I'll explain what botnets are and distributed denial of service attacks. Uh, why that matters to you. And at the, at the very end, uh, that'll lead us to our tip of the week, which is actually multiple tips of the week, uh, where I will explain to you how to protect your network from becoming part of the zombie botnet army. All right, so let's talk a little bit about cell phones and privacy. Uh, I ran across this article recently from CSO Online, and uh, I'll just start off with a quote that'll set the stage for this. Uh, quote, some U.S. mobile carriers seem to be providing personal information, such as your name, address, and the real-time location of your phone to mobile authentication companies. Although it's doubtful you willfully agreed to this, you are most likely opted in, as this is supposedly being done for security for fraud detection purposes, unquote. So this goes back to something we've covered multiple times on the show. And as you may recall, uh, we discussed this earlier in the year because the uh, the new administration struck down privacy rules that were set to take place uh, that were that were thrown in from the Obama administration to regulate how your cell phone uh, companies and ISPs and, and your cell phone company is an internet service provider, an ISP, because uh, you know, if you've got a smartphone and you're connected to the internet, then AT&T or Verizon is your, is your internet service provider. Uh, they struck down regulations requiring them to get your consent uh, before basically selling info about you to other people, uh, making extra money on you, not like you don't already pay these guys enough money every month. Uh, but they want to make more, of course. Uh, that's what companies do. And um, so uh, they struck down those rules, and now it's basically uh, open season. They can kind of do whatever they want. Uh, they are, in some cases, providing you some ways to opt out, but apparently that doesn't even affect this one. So let's talk about what's going on here. What this appears to be uh, is that AT&T and Verizon, uh, at least, are providing these services to third parties for authentication. And the idea kind of being that 
uh, if I can see your cellular data IP address, that is when you're using your cellular data for internet access and you go to a website, and let's say you want to buy something on that website, if they can take your internet address from that request, they can, they can with minimal consent, uh, go to these services, these web services provided by AT&T and Verizon and look up that IP address and they will come back with all this information on you. The idea being to make sure that I guess that you're that you're not doing something fraudulent, that what the the thing you're buying makes sense, that you're in the you know the right location for buying something like this, um, that it looks like it's really you that's buying this. But a software engineer named Philip Newstrom was having a look at this and found uh, on the web two demo websites for these authentication companies uh, that were using this service. One was called Danal, D-A-N-A-L, and one was called Payphone, P-A-Y-F-O-N-E. Uh, two different demo sites. And with these demo sites, if you surf to the site from your phone while in cellular, cellular data mode, uh, in one case for the Denal site, you could put in your zip code and it would immediately give you your home address, your phone number, uh, your cell phone contract details. And depending on... Um, uh, how you're connected to the internet. It could actually even give you the latitude and longitude, your rough latitude and longitude, describing your current location of your cell phone uh, by, with nothing more than, a, than your zip code. Uh, and the payphone one didn't even require uh, a zip code. These demos have since been removed. You can no longer access them from the website. In fact, his I think even his little movies of him doing it have been removed. But you can go uh, to his website if you still want to see it. Uh, it's pretty disturbing. Um, but again, it's one of those things where, you know, good intentions, I guess, pave the way to hell. These guys, you know, ostensibly this this service is about trying to make sure uh, that you are who you say you are by getting this very detailed information about you uh, when you're surfing the web on your mobile device. Uh, but in reality, uh, there are companies that are reselling this information with basically no protections. Um, and that's not good. So hopefully, since this has come to light, maybe some changes will be made. Uh, however, again, like I said, that AT&T and Verizon both have web pages you could supposedly get to that are hard to find that you can get to that where you're supposed to be able to opt out of some of these sorts of things. But uh, from the from what they've been uh, from what they found, even doing that didn't affect the outcome of this of this um, of these demo sites. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin. Uh, we really need to do a whole show on Bitcoin because it's really just a fascinating topic and it embeds all sorts of really cool cryptographic stuff. Uh, but we don't have time to get into that today. So I'll, someday in the future, we'll have a whole show on Bitcoin. But just to, just to catch, catch you up and give you the bare minimum, Bitcoin is a digital currency. It's sort of a... It's not based on any country. It's not. It's not backed by any government. It's. Uh, it's worth money because people say it's worth money, um, and they trade it openly on the internet and they pay for things. And in fact, a lot of times ransomware now, uh, because Bitcoin is basically an anonymous currency, um, can't be tracked. Uh, at least not easily. Uh, is used to pay for uh, ransoms when they hold your data when you hold your data hostage uh, and they want you to pay them money to get that data back they ask for bitcoin so uh, bitcoin is made by doing some heavy duty calculations cryptographic calculations and it's set up and the guy who came up with this named satoshi nakamura who we don't know who he really is it could be a group of people that could be a completely fictitious name uh, came up with this idea, and it's just brilliant, uh, using this technology called blockchain. 
and essentially bitcoins are mined, created uh, by doing some heavy duty calculations. And it's set up to get harder and harder over time so that these things become really difficult to create. Essentially meaning that to create more bitcoins, you have to throw some serious computing power at it. So a website called Pirate Bay, uh, if you've not heard of it or not familiar with it, is a website where you can go and download all sorts of illegal stuff, usually movies, TV shows, things like that. Uh, and be, being that sort of a website and they're constantly being you know shut down and coming back, uh, they have a hard time making money because who's going to advertise on this uh, on this website? Uh, and people stealing stuff generally aren't the kind of people who want to pay for <laughs> pay for websites. So they came up with a novel idea of mining bitcoins within your web browser. So basically, when you go to their website uh, and you're surfing around on Pirate Bay, all of a sudden your CPU is absolutely slammed because while you're browsing the website, it is in the background using your browser and the JavaScript language, which is built into the web, uh, built into your browser. Uh, while that tab is open, it is cranking some mathematical calculations in the background trying to mine Bitcoin. So as it turns out, that that is a really interesting concept, and it's something that we actually should explore and think about because it's really not doing you any harm other than using energy, uh, you know, by forcing your computer to work harder while you're on that website. Other than using energy, it really it doesn't it doesn't escape your browser and try to inject it with malware. It's not doing anything bad to your computer. What it basically is doing is it's it's kind of a new internet revenue model, and this is something we've talked about on the show many times before. That we kind of need a new internet revenue model because everybody hates ads, but nobody wants to you know pay a subscription to a website. We've talked about things like micropayments, like some sort of a system where you know when I go to that web page, automatically in the background I pay them a penny, which sounds like nothing, but when millions of people do it, these people make enough money. Um, you know, it's ba and it's based on how popular you are and and and. So that's something that, you know, they thought about. And this is sort of a method of doing micropayments without having to set up any sort of a, a system. You don't have to log into a micropayments account. You don't have to set up any sort of thing that drains your bank account or charges your credit card. These guys are basically just using your computer while you're on the site to try to make a little bit of money. And in it, with, with probably no harm to you whatsoever. So while this kind of sounds creepy and malicious, it's it's really fascinating. It's really something we should consider as a potential revenue model for the internet. Can you imagine going to a website and not seeing any ads whatsoever that you have to or have to, these, these things that are annoying you about, you know, you subscriptions, or if you want to read the rest of the article, you have to subscribe or send some money um, and just getting the content you want. Uh, and then just noticing that your computer is working really hard while you're on that website. Um, that's because in the background, it could be mining coins, um, and they're making their money that way. That's, it's really interesting. And it, it works out because it's kind of proportional, right? Like the more you use the site, the more you are contributing your computer to the cause to make them money. So it's, you know, it's proportional to how much you use the site. Uh, if you really want to support that site some more, you can like just leave that page up while you go to sleep and let your computer work on it overnight. Um, it's really kind of a fascinating concept. So anyway, I just want to let you know that that is going on. And if you ever happen to go to a website, my guess is this is going to become more popular. Uh, so you may start seeing this on websites now where you'll come in and it, it, maybe they're going to start being more transparent about it and asking and say, would you like to look at ads or would you like to mine bitcoins? 
uh, and give you that choice. And it probably will, will remember that choice for you with a cookie. And the next time you come back, it'll just keep doing that. Anyway, I find that kind of fascinating and I wanted to pass that on. And like I said, some point in the future, uh, I will try to do a whole show dedicated to Bitcoin. All right. And next up, I always like to put in some good info when we have it. It seems like it's it's a rarity, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, in our modern world. But uh, we are making improvements. And as all these bad things happen, you know, the, the companies that are selling us our computers and, and laptops and all these basic services are finally realizing how important this stuff is and they're making changes. So to wit, uh, Android uh, has announced it and uh, or well, they actually haven't announced this yet, but their their developers have noticed in previews of future Android based software that there appears to be support coming up for TLS, uh, sorry, DNS over TLS. And now let me explain what all that means. So DNS is domain name service. And what that really means is the internet works off of IP addresses. It doesn't really work off text. So when you type in google.com or yahoo.com or amazon.com into your web browser, what's really going on behind the scenes is that they're looking up the IP address of, let's say amazon.com. They're looking up the IP address of amazon.com and then sending you to that IP address because all the traffic on the internet is really routed with IP addresses, not with these names. But those IP addresses are basically impossible for humans to remember and it's not a very good marketing thing. So they invented this thing called um, DNS, domain name service. So what that does is google.com or amazon.com, those are domain names. So if um, what this service does is it maps a domain name to an IP address. And then so the very first thing that actually happens is your browser, if it doesn't, if it doesn't already have have this information locally because it's seen it before. If it gets a new host name, a new domain name, it says, I don't know where to send that. So it goes to the DNS, goes to the domain name service and says, uh, here's, you know, xyz.com. Where, do, what is that really? What is the IP address? And the DNS service, the domain name service, you know, looks it up. And if it knows what it is, hands back the IP address. And then your web browser says, okay, great. So now that it actually goes to that IP address to get whatever it's going to do. Now, why is that important? So from a privacy perspective, what that means is this is this is metadata, and this is metadata is one of the hardest things to keep private. So, even though your communication with Amazon.com or Google.com may be over HTTPS, S for secure, meaning that it's encrypted, meaning that your internet service provider or any of the other routers and computers that are on the path between you and that far end service web service. Even though all the data that's going back and forth between you might be completely private, totally encrypted, nobody can see what, what you're actually exchanging and what you're actually doing, they still know that you went to Amazon.com and you, that you were there for 30 minutes, for example. Or let's say, oh, I don't know, that you went to Pornhub.com and you spent five minutes. <laughs> that metadata is very hard to hide. Um but what what uh, this Android service, um, this new Android service appears to be um, setting up to do is encrypt the query that exchanges the domain name for an IP address. So you're still having to trust the DNS service. And there's there's honestly, by default, your DNS service is probably already set to be the DNS provided by your Internet service provider. So if that's the case, then they'll still know what you're doing. But you can change that. To you know, Google has a public free domain name service. So there are there are other free open uh, DNS services out there that you could use. And if you care about privacy and you want to mask the metadata as much as possible, um, then you can uh, apparently with the with this new Android um, service uh, 
encrypt your DNS queries as well. Now, um, it's just it's a small step. It, uh, it doesn't completely change everything. You're, for instance, you'll, they'll still see the IP addresses, um, and they might you know, but which they could reverse look up to try to find the domain name. Um, but it, it's a start. And so it's a good thing. And I just wanted to mention that uh, Android and Google are uh, appear to be uh, bringing the service out to their Android devices, and that's a good thing. In other news, there's a new virus. Yet another, there's many, but there's uh, another bad virus going around in uh, Russia and Ukraine mostly so far. It's called Bad Rabbit, and uh, you may not have heard about it because so far it's it's pretty much only affecting Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Turkey, I think, is another country that it's been hit, but I, I don't know that it's contained in any, in any way. So there's no reason to believe it might not, you know, spread further. Um, but it's another ransomware attack. Uh, you might remember some of the ones in the past, like WannaCry. That was a huge one. Uh, there was another one that also uh, focused on uh, that area of the world uh, called NotPetya. Um, and these all seem to be similar. This seems to be um, uh, potentially based on some of the same software. Uh, the reason I'm bringing it up, since uh, I doubt many of my audience is from Russia and Ukraine, if you are, then apologies to you. But uh, the reason I'm bringing it up for the rest of us is is to remind us of how some of these things get uh, on our systems in the first place. And apparently the way this, the install vector, the attack vector um, for Bad Rabbit is a malicious fake version of the Adobe Flash installer. So Adobe Flash has been such a pain in our butts for so long, um, and it just refuses to die. Uh, but we're all used to going to websites and saying, oh, hey, if you, if you want to view this website, you need the latest and greatest Adobe Flash Player. Click here to install or click here to download. Uh, unfortunately, everybody, all the bad guys know that we're, we see this all the time and we're inured to, uh, inured to seeing it, used to just clicking the link and updating the software and thinking, oh, sure, yeah, I should probably always have the latest and greatest version of the software. Uh, which is true. Unfortunately, in this case, they're serving up uh, a fake uh, Flash installer, and that fake Flash installer is malware. Uh, this is a very common way to get malware on people's systems. They'll they'll pop up some warning saying you need the latest version of something, or you need a special plugin. Uh, maybe it'll be Java. Maybe it'll it'll be Adobe Flash. Maybe Microsoft Silverlight. Um, Maybe it'll be some video plugin or some other plugin that they say you need to, to to view their content or or whatever. Always be suspicious of those. Beware of what website you're on. Even good websites sometimes can be can be hacked um, to display uh, incorrect messages, or it might be an advertisement uh, masquerading as content on that website. So whenever you get a pop up like that that says you need to install something, just close it. Don't follow whatever links they give you and go to the website you need directly. Uh, if you really think that you need this, whatever this content is, and, and you want to make sure this is a valid thing, go to the source. Always go to the source. So uh, in this case, if you get the pop-up saying, oh, you need the latest version of Adobe Flash, close that window in a different tab or in a different browser window. Go to Adobe, the official Adobe site. And then download and update your installer there. Um, of course, you may find that you already do have the latest uh, Flash, in which case you know that the other one you just saw was completely fake. Uh, and by the way, if you're using the Chrome browser, uh, Google builds Flash right into the browser. You don't have to ever install it. Uh, and it, and they keep it up to date for you. So particularly if you're on the Chrome browser and you get a pop-up saying, oh, you need the latest Flash, that is very suspicious. So if nothing else, do a check on Chrome to make sure you've got the latest version of Chrome and therefore the latest version of Flash. Uh, that's that's another thing you can check there in particular uh, when you, if you're running Chrome. 
Now, if you did manage to get yourself infected by Bad Rabbit, if you've uh, installed this bad Flash player and you got the warning saying, sorry, all your files are encrypted, pay us money if you want to get them back. Actually, this is true of any ransomware attack. If you're ever unfortunate enough for this to happen to you, uh, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Check out a website called nomoreransom.org. That's N-O-M-O-R-E-R-A-N-S-O-M dot O-R-G. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. These guys are doing a great service for all of us because ransomware is becoming such a problem. Uh, and so um, it's such a popular mechanism now for malware um, that uh, we need to collect all of the information in one place. Unfortunately, or actually fortunately for us, uh, a lot of these bad guys get it wrong and they screw something up. And uh, where they think they've encrypted all your files irretrievably, They've made a mistake somewhere that will allow you to retrieve some or all of your files without paying any money. So check out the website always, noransom.org. If you ever uh, if this happens to you or somebody you know, uh, see if there's some sort of a way around that. In fact, I would just wait to the last minute to pay. You know, if there's something on there you absolutely have to have and you're you're determined to pay for it to get it back, they probably will give your files back. Um, there's nothing to say they won't do it again in the future, but. Uh, you may be able to get your access to your files back if you do pay the money, but you should not pay the ransom unless you absolutely have to. Um, so if you're in that situation, wait till the last minute. Check out this website because sometimes they find the bug shortly after the, the malware attacks happen. Uh, so keep an eye on nomoreransom.org uh, to see if they've figured out a way to get your files back without paying the ransom. Okay, let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Kaspersky Labs. Uh, they are a Russian software research firm, an antivirus software maker, and they have been in the news lately. If you haven't seen, it's kind of an interesting story. Let's check that out in just a minute. Well, the out loud perspective awaits you in life, love, politics, a healthy lifestyle, your faith, personal development, and living an out loud life on AmericaOutloud.com. Glitch your news and entertainment network where you can listen 24-7 on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. For one of the one of the bigger stories of the week, um, I want to talk a little bit about Kaspersky Labs. Uh, Kaspersky Labs is a Russian-based antivirus software maker and security research firm uh, that has been in the news lately. And you may have seen this, you may not, but it's an interesting story, and I wanted to kind of catch you up on it and give you a little bit of my opinion and let you know where things stand. It's an interesting study, and it's something we all need to be thinking about and being aware of because it's really hard to know who to trust these days. So, you know, you're thinking, you know, it's a Russia-based firm. You're probably, if you're a U.S. citizen, certainly probably immediately thinking you can't trust them. Um, Kaspersky Lab has been around for a while and they've created some good products and they've done a lot of really good and important security research. Um, they've helped to identify and track down malware and hackers and they they've done a lot of good things and so it's a real you know it's a real shame when you see stories like this come out uh, because it really cast out on them and honestly the whole industry so let's let's talk a little bit about what happened israeli intelligence uh earlier this year found by spying on kaspersky that 
Kaspersky's antivirus software was spying, according to them, spying on computers and reporting back to Russia. Um, now, this is concerning, obviously, uh, for any company claiming to be a security company and an antivirus company, um, and not the least of which because their software is extremely popular. It uh, has over 400 million users worldwide. So when when this sort of a story pops up, it becomes something we need to pay attention to. Um, and as a result of that story uh, and the intelligence from the Israelis, um, the FBI is now investigating. Uh, and I think it was about a month ago, the U.S. government basically required that Kaspersky software be removed from all computers within the government because they're basically saying we can't trust it anymore. But this story has some interesting twists to it, and it's it's not settled. Um, so let me read you a couple things. So from the New York Times, uh, from a New York Times article quote on this, quote, the Israeli officials who had hacked into Kaspersky's own network alerted the United States to the broad Russian intrusion, which was not previously reported, leading to a decision just last month to order Kaspersky software removed from government computers. The Russian operation, described by multiple people who have been briefed on the matter, is known to have stolen classified documents from the National Security Agency, the NSA, from a national security employee who had improperly stored them on his home computer on which Kaspersky's antivirus software was installed. What additional American secrets the Russian hackers may have gleaned from multiple agencies by turning the Kaspersky software into sort of a Google search for sensitive information is not yet publicly known, unquote. Now, obviously, that that quote implies heavily that Kaspersky was involved, that they knew what was going on, uh, and there's a lot of nefarious activity, and who knows, you know, what all things they've managed to extract from our computers. However, I don't think it's really that clear. Um, so, of course, uh, Kaspersky Software denies this, and they have said that they are going to look into this and they will make their software available for review and all sorts of things. They, they're trying to protect their reputation uh, and they've started a, an investigation process of their own. And it's worth listening to what they've come up with uh, as reported by Bleeping Computer, uh, a great website. In fact, we talked with Lawrence Abrams, the, the owner and operator of that website here back a few months ago. Great interview uh, has a report on uh, has an article on this. And let me just read a snippet of that to you. Quote, the preliminary findings of that investigation were published today. In the report, Kaspersky admits that it did indeed collect secret NSA documents, but it was never intentional, as the U.S. media alluded. The company said the collection process was automatic, as the documents were hacking tools detected under signatures tied to the malware the company believed it belonged to a cyber espionage group it was investigating at the time. This incident took place in 2014, and Kaspersky published a report on this group in 2015. The group's name and the report are now infamous, the Equation Group, and most security experts generally acknowledge that the group is the NSA's Cyber Operations Division, unquote. So there's a lot to unpack there. So basically, what the U.S. was reporting, uh, and at least what we saw in the news, was that the Kaspersky software was stealing documents. Uh, what Kaspersky is basically claiming is that the documents it was stealing were hacking tools, and it its software automatically identified those tools as hacking tools. Um, and I, I guess I'm not sure why it um, uh, it took the files, but maybe it, it just took them for analysis as part of an automatic process, which it probably does with every piece of malware it finds. Um, 
And so these documents that were quote-unquote stolen was actually hacking tools that it identified properly as malware and downloaded them as a part of its analysis process. So obviously that puts a different flavor on this. Um, and if you recall this the equation group, that was a really big find uh, a couple of years ago when that report came out, these NSA tools, these NSA hacking tools. Um, so, you know, what do we what do we do about this? What do, you know, what do we do about if you have, for instance, if you've got Kaspersky software on your computer? That is a really, really tough call. Um, unfortunately, as much as I want to believe that these guys are acting in, um, independently and that they are trying to protect us, uh, certainly they've done a lot of great work in the past. I, there's there are other products out there. <laughs> And, you know, at this point, if certainly if you've got anything you're worried about on your computer, it, you know, I guess you could argue that maybe if you're just a regular Joe and you're not a government employee or you have government secrets or those kind of things on your computer, maybe it's not that big a deal because that's, you know, I guess you could argue that's probably what they're after. They're not looking for your tax documents or love letters or whatever. Um, but I guess the flip side of this is, is when people ask me about antivirus software in general, I it's really become... I don't know. Unnecessary is the wrong word. It's it's ineffective, maybe is the better word. Things are moving and shaking so fast in the in the virus and malware world that it's really hard to keep up. And, you know, many of these um, malware, um, anti-malware software things, antivirus software things are looking for known signatures or things that are similar to known signatures. And so when there's something new, it has to be updated for it to recognize it as malware. That's not 100% true. Some of these things are actually trying to do more heuristic-based things where it's looking for bad behavior, suspicious behavior. Um, but it's just not as effective as it used to be. Um, there's so much malware going out there today that, it, that the antivirus software is not nearly as effective as it used to be. The other flip side of that is that operating systems, if you've got a modern Mac or a modern Windows PC, uh, they tend to have some of these mechanisms already built in. Uh, Windows has Windows Defender, um, and uh, Apple actually has some software that's doing some checks in the background. They don't even tout it as a feature, but they do have some anti-malware going on. So, you know, if just general antivirus software advice, what I usually tell most people is that you're better off just being very careful. Don't click on links that you don't know where they go. Uh, you know, don't open attachments from uh, emails, even if you know they're the sender. Um you know, unless you absolutely know for sure that that was something that you requested and expected. Um, it, you know, if you follow basic, you know, safe surfing and, and safe computer use hygiene and best practices, that's probably your best bet. Um, however, that being said, there are some free antivirus softwares out there. For instance, Microsoft, you can get Microsoft Defender um, or Microsoft Windows Ascent, or, uh, Security Essentials is what it used to be called, I believe. Um, and for the Mac, there are other free ones like from Sophos and, um, and uh, Avira that are free, uh, that don't nag you, um, that, you know, you could put those on your computer to maybe protect yourself against some of the common ones that have been around for a long time. A lot of the old viruses are actually all still out there. Um, and they're still out there on the internet trying to find, you know, victim computers. So, you know, in that sense, it's not, it, it doesn't hurt if it's something that's free. Um, so yeah, I would consider that. But, um, you know, back to Kaspersky in particular, there, there are too many other options and it's, you know, I hate to say it, but until we know more and we probably will, honestly, we'll probably never know the hundred percent truth. Um, 
you, you probably just can't trust their products on it. I hate to say it. So, uh, anyway, that's my advice. Take it, take it for what it's worth. Um, and it's just a shame that it, you know, that what is potentially a very good company is getting such a black eye over something like this. And, you know, we may never get to the bottom of this and their reputation may never recover. Um, and it's a shame because these guys are doing good work and I, I hope they get to continue that. But of course the way they continue that is by making money off their other products. So it's a real, it's a real tough situation. Next up, I just have a quick reminder, a little bit of a public service announcement. There was a story going around. Uh, of course it looks sensational as always saying that, oh my gosh, your iOS apps can spy on you at any time. Uh, so if you read the stories a little bit more, it says that any apps that use your microphone or your camera can listen to you or take pictures or video of you. So if you're following that correctly, the apps that can use the camera can take pictures and the apps that use the microphones can listen. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Uh, so it's kind of funny the way the story is making the rounds, but I guess it's because there was a researcher who looked into this and it shouldn't be, I guess, too surprising to find out that if when you install these applications, and this applies on both Android and iOS, in other words, iPhones, iPads, uh, your Android-based phones, they ask for certain permissions. Uh, they try to, and you should restrict those permissions as much as possible. They should not give uh, camera access, for example, to, let's say, you know, some little game, because more than likely that game doesn't need to use the camera. Uh, or the microphone. Now, some games, of course, do, but many don't. Uh, you need to go with what makes sense. Like, why in the world would a weather app need to access your camera or your contacts or your photos? You know, I suppose maybe they have a feature where you can upload pictures of your local weather. But, you know, if you never use that feature, you shouldn't enable that that permission. Each of these apps has different permissions. When you install them is usually when it you know, first warns you, hey, this app wants to ha wants to access the following things. You know, these are common things that might be privacy issues would be your location, your camera, your microphone, your pictures, your contacts, things like that. And you can, in some cases, individually choose which of those things it can you will grant permission to. In other cases, it's all or nothing. So if you want the if you want to use this app, you have to give it permissions to access all these things. Now, in my view, uh, Apple with iOS is done much better so far than Android has done with regard to these sorts of permissions. Android for a long time uh, only asked you once, and that was at install time, and it was all or nothing. Um, they have since gotten better than that um, as of their Marshmallow release, or I think that was a six, uh, the version 6 release. Uh, they have given you some opportunity to modify some of those permissions. But uh, for instance, on uh, iOS, they have the ability in many cases to say, yes, it can use the camera, but can only use the camera when it is the foreground application, when it's the app that I'm using right now. If it's in the background, if I used it a little bit ago and now I'm using something else, it no longer has those permissions. It only has the permissions when it is the frontmost app, the one I'm using right now, um, which makes that that's a great trade off in a lot of cases. In some cases, you want them to use uh, have access to these things, but only it only makes sense to have access to those things when you're actually using the app. Um, so anyway, what, what this researcher found, I guess, was that some of the iOS applications where you have granted it permission, let's say Twitter, um, uh, to access your photos, because some people upload photos to Twitter, that's pretty common. 
Um, so therefore, um, it also asks for your camera because you might want to take that picture right now. You know, hey, look what I'm doing and tweet about it. Um, but in the background, um, apparently, these apps, if not set to uh, only use these things in the background, and maybe I sh maybe that is what he found. Maybe he found that that, that that setting doesn't always work, which would be troubling, um, that these apps can still look at you listen to you or, you know, whatever you gave it access to, even if they're in the background. So that is troubling. And obviously, um, you know, the, the, the phone makers need to step up their game and make sure that they've locked that stuff down a little bit better. We may, you know, need to go to the era of, you know, when your camera's on or when your mic is on, there's a light that indicates that those things are on. And of course, those things can be hacked as well. Um, there's all plenty of stories on the internet about malware that can get into your computer and turn on your camera without enabling the little green light that says your camera's on. Um, so that's not foolproof. But, uh, you know, we got to work through these things. The, the, the upshot for you, the PSA, is that um, make sure that when you're installing these apps, when they're asking for permissions, that you only give these things the permissions that they really need. If it's for some feature that you know you're not going to use, disable that permission. Um, and, you know, sometimes they will ask for the world. Uh, they'll just say, give me access to everything. And you need to say, no, you, you, you only need this, this, and this, or maybe you need nothing to do what I want you to do. So make sure that you set those permissions accordingly, um, at least on iOS and some of the modern Android versions, you can go back into your settings after the fact and, and tweak those settings. So you might want to go back and check which applications that you have currently installed, um, uh, will access your camera, will access your photos, your contacts, your location, your, your mic. Uh, and turn those off if you don't want them, or better yet, maybe just uninstall them if you don't use them anymore. And finally, um, if you're not using an app, close it. Don't leave it running in the background. Um, close that app. Uh, if you're not sure how to do that, or if you want to just make sure you um, start with a clean slate, just turn your phone off and back on, and that should kill all the apps or stop all the apps from running, um, and you'll be back to square one. All right, one more break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about a few more things, including... The Reaper, just in time for Halloween. What a great name for a piece of malware. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world, to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. 
headline issue of the week and that is the reaper botnet what a great name <laughs> they always have these great names um these old marketing names why why i don't know all right well the reaper botnet so the reaper botnet is a variation of the mirai botnet which is something that we saw last year uh so let's let's do a little recap and catch you up on what all these terms mean so what is a botnet so a botnet is short for a robot network or a network of robots. Uh, and in this case, it doesn't mean physical clanking metal robots. It means computers or computerized devices that have been um, what we call in the industry pwned, P-W-N-E-D, pwned or owned or controlled, basically hacked to the point where um, the, the malicious software and a remote hacker in particular can access that computer or that computerized device and control it uh, to have it do whatever it wants. So a botnet is formed when uh, a hacker manages to get malware installed on multiple computers around the internet. Um, and that malware allows him to remote control that computer, usually unbeknownst to the user. Uh, the user may not even know what's happening. Um, to run applications in the background, to do uh, other nefarious things and have those robots act on its behalf so that when, you know, if something malicious happens, the finger gets pointed basically at you or your computer or your device uh, because that's where the attack is coming from, uh, because the hacker told it to go do something bad uh, and you're the one getting fingered for it. Of course, the authorities know this happens and the, you know, you're usually not um, to blame or they, or they don't come knocking on your door and blame you. Because there's a thousand or a hundred thousand or a million other computers on the internet doing the exact same thing, so that's a botnet when you have when you have multiple computers controlled by a bad guy. And um, what botnets are often used for? So if I'm a hacker somewhere on the on the planet and I've managed to um, conscript a bunch of computerized devices into my army of zombies and I want to make them do something, often what I will do is I will have all those devices focused on some service or website that I don't like. And I'll say, okay, I've got a thousand computers or a hundred thousand computers and I want to slam this service with a whole bunch of requests all at once. Uh, and while some services out on the web can handle that, many can't. Um, and a lot of these attacks are designed to have maximum leverage, which is to say that it's a simple request that requires a lot of processing at the back end. So, you know, I might say, you know, send a request and say, give me all your known, uh, all your known internet routes, or give me, give me a list of something or other. It's a short request, uh, but it could require a lot of processing or a lot of data to be returned from whatever service that you're you're attacking. So if I do this from enough different endpoints all at the same time, this computer is is swamped. It's literally incapable of handling all these requests. And if it can't handle these requests, that means it also can't handle all the legitimate requests, um, which effectively means that website is unreachable. That service is down. Um, that's what we call a denial of service attack, or in this case, a distributed denial of service attack, a DDoS, D-D-O-S, um, very common term, unfortunately. Um, and as you may remember, last year, uh, about this time, uh, last fall, uh, there was uh, a botnet called Mirai, M-I-R-A-I. Um, and you may not have heard of that, but you probably did notice that certain services went offline for the better part of a day. Uh, Twitter was one, um, Netflix was one, Airbnb was another. 
And be, what had happened is this Mirai botnet um, had attacked a service called Dyn DNS. And we talked earlier about what DNS is. Um, Dyn DNS is a service that, that, that does domain main lookup. And so all these computers were out there saying, okay, I want to go to netflix.com and Dyn DNS would be the service they'd go to to say, okay, well, Netflix is really this IP address. I would use this IP address. Well, if you can't get that IP address from Dyn DNS, you can't get to Netflix. Um, so effectively that this routing function was broken and, and a lot of the internet and <laughs> was effectively down because this service was targeted. So the next, next key to this story is where did Mirai get all these bots and they're about what, where were, what were all the computers in their network? Well, it was the internet of things and the internet of things, as we've talked about before, IOT, uh, abbreviated IOT is all these new smart devices we have today. All these, all these little devices and appliances that were used to be dumb that are now smart. And by smart, I mean, they've hooked them up to the internet. Unfortunately, even though we call them smart devices, they're pretty dumb in terms of security. These are all commodity items that are supposed to be cheap. The cheapest one usually sells and the corner that an easy corner to cut on these products. And we're talking about things like, you know, internet connected thermostats, like the nest, um, internet connected webcams, baby monitors, um, smart TVs. Um, there are even light bulbs that are connected to the internet, garage door openers, all these things that are internet controlled. If it says it has an app where you can control it, then that device is an internet of things device. It's connected to the internet. And as soon as you take that thing that has a computer in it, these things are basically small computers and hook it on the internet. Now that thing is exposed and could be vulnerable to a hacker. And many of these devices just don't have security built in. Um, they, and we talked about this at length with uh, uh, John Graham coming from Cloudflare earlier this year. So you might want to go back and check that one out if you're interested in the internet of things and security. Um, but just briefly, each of these things has a computer in it and you've put that computer on the internet. And if, and if that computer is not secure, it can be hacked. And these were hacked. And in fact, a lot of cases, what actually happened was, you know, somebody clicked on a bad file and got infected. And then this, you know, your infected computer then started searching through your network for all of your IOT devices. And uh, many of these devices have a little administrative web page. If you need to configure that device, uh, set, you know, change some setting on, on that device, it has a little web page and they at least in most cases will put a login and password on that web page. Great. It's got security, but to make it easy, they have to have a default ID and a default password for all these devices. And guess what? Nobody ever changes that default password. And so Mirai um, knew that and was able to log in as administrator to all of these different devices and and find ways to hack it from that. Um, of course, there's also just security flaws. A lot of these devices come with, they use a, an operating system called Linux, and Linux has all sorts of useful tools that you can use to administer it that should be turned off and often aren't. And these tools are wide open. And if you're within that network and you can use these tools to gain access to the device, you can take control of the device. So anyway, that's Mirai. That's a little history there. The modern version of this is called Reaper. Uh, and it's making the rounds. And just to give it, just to give you a comparison, the Mirai botnet infected up to about 230,000 devices. Um, and it was, it was awful. Uh, it did a lot, it did a lot of bad things, but, and they're speculating, and this is pure speculation at this point, but uh, there are some researchers that are, that are saying that the Reaper botnet may have up to a million devices. Now that's, 
there's a little hand waving involved in coming up with that number. And so a lot of other researchers mark it as a lot less. But it's still very dangerous because this one is much more virulent than the Mirai was. It's using a lot more different tech, a lot more techniques, uh, exploiting a lot more vulnerabilities in these IoT devices to spread. So it has the potential to go much, much further. Um, and the thing with the Reaper is so far it has not been triggered. It hasn't been called, this army has not been called up to do anything bad yet. So it's kind of sitting out there and we're just waiting to see, waiting for the other shoe to drop for when this thing gets activated and what it's going to do. It could be, it could be bad. We don't, we, we don't know. I don't want to just needlessly scare you. Um, but something's, something's going to happen for this. And by the time I'm, I've written this or recorded this, Nothing has generally happened yet. By the time this comes out in a few days, we may have seen what's happened. Anyway, so that's Reaper. Uh, it's looking really bad. It's looking worse than the Mirai botnet from last year. And let's lead this right into our tip of the week. So what can I do about this? There's actually a lot of things we can do to protect our Internet of Things and our home networks um, and, and prepare uh, as much as we can for, for this Reaper attack. All right. First step, change all your default passwords on these devices. If you have a device that connects to the internet and that could be either wired, a little, you know, ethernet cable, that little clippy cable looks like, kind of like a fat phone cord from a long time ago with no one has phone cords anymore. Um, at the ethernet, if it's plugged straight into the internet, uh, or, or straight into your network with an ethernet cable, or if it's uh, hooked up by a Wi-Fi, which probably means you had to configure that somehow to hook up to your Wi-Fi network. Uh, if it's hooked up to the network, it's an Internet of Things device and it's potentially vulnerable. So uh, you'll, every device is going to be a little different. So you're going to have to probably search the Internet or if you happen to main, or, uh, if you happen to keep the manuals that came with your device, look it up and see if there's any way you can configure it. And it's often a Web page. You'll go to a certain Web page um, uh, and that may be an IP address for your device. Uh, and then it'll come up with a login and password. And so you log in with the default. The, the, your instructions will give you the default password, which, which is why all the hackers know it. Um, it has to be known because it's a default. Uh, and find out how to change that password and change it to something else, anything else. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be super amazingly strong, but it, you know, come up with a decent password, make it something besides a default. Step two, while you're in there, update the software. A lot of these devices honestly can't be updated, um, which means that these things are going to be vulnerable forever and are probably going to be part of a botnet forever, which means, we'll, and we'll get to this step later, that you should replace it. Um, but for now, if you can get in there, look for a way to update the software. Check what version the software is. Check for an updated version of the software. Uh, somewhere on that web page where you can administer, administer the device once you've logged in and change the password, look for software updates, and it should tell you, hopefully it'll have a helpful link there on where to find updates and how to install them. Get your devices up to date. And unfortunately, this is going to, this is going to be something you're going to need to do often. And to know you need to do it, uh, the next thing I recommend is go ahead and register your, all your uh, Internet of Things devices. I normally don't register my devices because all that really means is it gives them my mailing address and they send me a bunch of junk. And that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be true here too. Uh, so when you register your devices online, uh, surely you're going to get some junk email from them. Maybe you can change your preferences on their website. So you only get important updates or security updates, but what you need is a security update. So what you're hoping is that these people are responsible, then they don't go out of business and they're keeping track of security flaws. And when they find them, they update their software and they let you know that there's an update that you need to install. And they'll probably do that via email. And if they don't have any way to get hold of you, you won't know. So for that reason, Register your Internet of Things devices, anything you connect to the Internet. 
dumb down your devices. Um, if you're not using the internet features, um, then just don't plug it into the internet. Um, turn those devices back into dumb appliances. So for, for example, my TVs, almost any TV you buy today is, is a quote unquote smart TV, which means that, it, you know, it probably has a Netflix app built into it or, uh, some of these other common streaming apps, maybe Amazon video. Um, so you can watch your movies you know, on your TV without any other devices. Well, personally, I use a separate device. Um, I've got, uh, Apple TVs and fire TVs. You might have a Roku device, uh, but if you have some other device that you're using for those features and you're not using those internet features, then just don't plug in the device. If you're using a webcam, but you're only using it, um, or a baby monitor, but you're only using it internally and, it's, and you don't need the wireless features, you don't need the internet features, just don't enable them. Don't, don't connect it to Wi-Fi. Don't plug it into the internet. On the same vein, uh, if you're really not using a device at all, just unplug it. Um, or if you don't use it very often, then unplug it when you're not using it. Uh, for example, I've got a webcam that I use to watch over the house when I go uh, on vacation, but that's not very often. So I only ever plug it in when we actually leave and go on vacation. Um, uh, but if you've got a device that you don't use at all, that, that for some reason you still got sitting around and it's hooked up to the Wi-Fi or it's hooked up to the Internet, unplug it uh, from power <laughs> from the Internet. Get rid of it if you're really not using it, especially if it's old. If it's old and you could get something newer and better, it probably has better security. But anyway, it, 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 if you're not using it, take it off the internet, make it not a target. Uh, all right, two more things. Uh, the other thing I would recommend is that you quarantine your devices. So this is kind of a mitigating thing. Uh, doesn't prevent it necessarily from being part of a botnet, but it might prevent it from infecting other devices in your house. Um, and that is to put all your Internet of Things devices on your guest network. Most modern Wi-Fi networks... Um, uh, Wi-Fi routers that you buy for your home have both the regular network and they have the option of, sort of setting up a guest network. The idea, of course, is that when guests come over and they've got questionable devices, you don't know where that kid's laptop's been <laughs> or his phone. You know, maybe it's infected. You don't want to put that on your network with all of your devices. You put them on your guest network. Well, you could do the same thing with your Internet of Things devices. Most of those devices just need to talk to the Internet. They don't need to talk to other things on your uh, your home network. So you can put them on the guest network, and that way they have access to the internet, but they can't see or talk to networking-wise uh, the other devices in your home, your laptops, your computers, your smartphones. Um, so you can kind of segregate your devices that way, and hopefully, you know, the ones that maybe are the most vulnerable are off on their own network, and then you know maybe they'll infect each other, but at least they won't get on your 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 other more important critical devices. And finally. As kind of a last-ditch effort, some of these uh, malware attacks on devices are only uh, in memory while they're running. Uh, so if for some reason you think you might have a compromised device, or if you just want to kind of take a shot and see if we can clear you know clear things up, let's say there's a big Reaper attack and it's going it's ongoing, uh, you could just restart your devices. Sometimes that will that's enough to cleanse the malware. Now, of course, if you don't update the software, it's still going to be vulnerable and it still could be attacked later. Um, but you know, as a quick stopgap thing, um, you can just uh, restart your device and sometimes that will cleanse it of the malware. And that's going to wrap up another episode of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We had a lot to cover this week. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Uh, next week, we'll have another great show for you. Uh, as always, you can go to my website. You can check out my blog where I uh, cover some of these uh, items in other detail and further detail. Uh, also, you can sign up for the newsletter there from the website. Uh, that's a tip I send out every Sunday night. Sometimes it's the same tip I cover in the week. Sometimes it's not. So worth checking out there as well. And of course, you can always check out my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, available on Amazon. You can get to a link from that from my website and also from the America Out Loud website. And that book has uh, got 
all sorts of tips, over well over 100 tips, complete with step-by-step -step instructions and pictures. Very easy to use, uh, very easy to, to understand. Uh, good for you, good for your friends, good for your, good for your family. Spread the word on that one. And uh, lastly, of course, you can help me to help you by going to patreon.com. Uh, look for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. There's lots of information there you can check out. And help me on my quest to inoculate as many people as possible. The more people that understand this stuff, the safer we all are. And that's going to do it. So until next week, don't get caught with your drawbridge now.